up next on NHL Fantasy on Ice. Scott Burnside joins the boys to talk about the NHL trade wins. Who should fantasy owners be targeting prior to the deadline? And is it time to sell high on the Colorado Avalanche? Plus, DFS strategy, analysis, and locks for the Thursday slate. It's NHL Fantasy on Ice. What's up, everybody? Pete and Rob here with you talking fantasy hockey on this Wednesday afternoon. And the theme of today's show is going to be the trade deadline. And Rob, so many different strategies go into it from a fantasy angle. The best one that I have, Pete, is the power play. I look at guys like Wayne Simmons on the top of my list, guys that have produced over the power play, been specialists in their entire career. I don't care what team they go to. I know that whichever team it is, their power play is going to be a threat with a guy like him on it. To me, it's about targeting these guys before they're traded and seeing the guys that could translate well if they join an elite team with strong line mates in the top six usage. So that applies to Simmons, Zuccarello, Gustav Nyquist I really like. Marcus Johansson has shown he has that capability in Washington and, of course, over the past few weeks with the Devils. So, yeah, to me, it's all about finding these guys uh, and taking a stab at them before the trades materialize. Yeah, you have to make your moves now. You can't wait any longer. And, and, and we've seen in seasons past some of the biggest trades happen well before the trade deadline. So I could see some moves happening this weekend. Just make the moves now. Get your roster tinkering out of the way, and then you're sitting pretty watching the whole frenzy go down on next Friday. And, of course, there are some enormous names on the trade market from Matt Duchesne, Artemi Panarin, Sergei Bobrovsky, Mark Stone on two teams that are, I mean, the Ottawa Senators are out of the mix right now. And the Columbus Blue Jackets, you'd think that they'd be going off the rails, but they've won four in a row. Just shut out the defending champs. Bob's won four games in a row. His fantasy stock is arguably higher than it has been at any point throughout the season in DFS and in season long. So I'm not really sure, Pete, what they should do at this point. And that's why we're bringing in Scott Burnside from The Athletic to break this thing down from the impact of the star players to everything in between, all the trade wins from around the league. So, Scott, we'll start with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Sergei Bobrovsky and Artemi Panarin, potential 2019 UFAs. How do you see this thing shaking out? Because Columbus has a chance, if they keep these guys, to go deep in the playoffs, but they could also lose a lot if they go out. Well, I'd uh, I'd like to pretend that this was my line, but uh, I it would be uh, that would be outright theft. It's actually uh, something my colleague uh, at the Athletic Pierre LeBrun and I have been talking about for a number of weeks now, and that's sort of this idea of an own rental. Um, and I think when it comes to Artemi Panarin, um, that's really what it's going to be like for GM Jarmo Kekalainen. He's going to um, he knows that. Uh, Panarin is going to go to market as a UFA in the summer. Uh, he would like to move him in return, uh, you know, assuming that the assets coming back are are lucrative enough that he can turn around and bring in an impact player. So let's say, for instance, he had an interest in Matt Duchesne, uh, assuming that Matt Duchesne doesn't sign an extension with the Ottawa Senators. Uh, if he feels that he can return enough in dealing Artemi Panarin to, and let's pick a team, let's say it's the Nashville Predators, uh, and then turn around and acquire Matt Duchesne and not be in a deficit position, I think that's what he would, he would uh, endeavor to do. Now, 
pretty complicated stuff going on there. Um, so if it doesn't look like it's going to happen that way, at the end of the day, my guess is that uh, Kekalainen will decide that he'll keep Panarin as though he was uh, um, his own rental, as it were, that he would brought him in as a rental player and keep him through whatever playoff run the Columbus Blue Jackets might have and, and see what happens after that. So that's my guess there. As far as Bobrovsky, um, A, he started to play a lot better, which is uh, good news for Columbus fans and, uh, and, uh, and, and folks who might have Sergei Bobrovsky in their pool uh, because there was a period where he wasn't playing very well. And, and I think you, know, you have to look at the pressures of what has gone on between Bobrovsky and the team this year, uh, made it clear early on that he wasn't going to to uh, be staying there long term, that he too would uh, be headed to uh, the marketplace. Um, there was an incident where he uh, left the team uh, after being lifted in a game against Tampa, I believe, and uh, which was against protocol, and he was suspended by the team for a game. So there have been some issues um, you know, that may have created some tension within the locker room and may have affected his play. But as I say, as of late, he's played very well. The team is locked. Uh, in, I mean, they're not locked into a playoff spot, but they're in a comfortable spot in the Metropolitan Division vis-a-vis a playoff berth. Um, and I think Columbus will will be one of the top eight in the Eastern Conference. And it's very difficult to trade a number one goaltender in season. Um, Bobrovsky has trade protection, uh, which complicates matter. But even beyond that, uh, it's just hard to uh, find a trade partner that would be willing to take on a a number one goaltender like a Bobrovsky. um, And then Kekalainen would have to turn around and fill that void himself. So my guess is that Bobrovsky stays with the Blue Jackets uh, and then moves on in the offseason as an unrestricted free agent. Let's say that Panarin is moved, Scott. What do you think is better for his fantasy value? Stick with Columbus or on a new team potentially like Nashville, like whom you mentioned? Well, yeah, I don't, you know, to me it's probably, a, it will be a, relatively speaking, parallel move. I mean, mm-hmm. Nashville, probably a little bit more uh, offensive upside there, although, they're, you know, the reason that Panarin is attractive to a team like Nashville is that they're very top-heavy, right? They have an incredible top line with uh, Ryan Johansson, Victor Arvidsson, uh, Philip Forsberg, uh, but the rest of that offensive group has been sort of hit and miss, and so adding Panarin to that, um, you know, the theory is that they make them much harder to defend much deeper in a playoff series against a top-end team like Winnipeg, for instance. Um, so he's still going to get his chances. Now, he's been terrific for Columbus. I, I, no one, I don't think anywhere could complain that in spite of whatever distractions there might have been uh, vis-a-vis his potential departure, whether it's at the trade deadline or in the offseason, it certainly hasn't affected his production. Um, you know, the other teams that, you know, who might be interested, um, you know, is it a team like Boston um, is there a fit out west with Vegas? I think if he goes to a contending team, he's going to get top six time on the ice. He's going to get first power play time. You don't acquire a guy like that at the cost of, uh, you know, the asking cost is going to be enormous. So you don't make that move unless you're going to give him every opportunity to be successful. So I don't see it. Uh, regardless of whether he stays or goes, uh, I'd be surprised if there's any meaningful change in his production uh, one way or the other. I'll throw this tidbit at you. Since Nashville's power play has been so underwhelming this season, I reckon if he goes to a team like Nashville, that power play finishes top 10 in the league and they storm through the Western Conference towards the end of the season. (laughs) 
Well, that, that could be, although, I, you know, it's always funny to look at teams and, and we know, especially whose power play, you know, might not be producing the way that you, you think. You know, Pittsburgh over the last four or five years has gone through periods where their power play hasn't clicked. Columbus has, for the last two or three years, you know, they've been a team that's, all, that's struggled to, to find production. Um, and, but there have been lots of high-end guys there. So it, it is, and I know having just been in Nashville, uh, I was there when Brian Boyle arrived from New Jersey and spent a couple of days there. And I know that the power play is a source of uh, mystification. I'm not sure if that's a, a proper word, but it's certainly mystifying why the Preds maybe haven't been as productive given you know guys like Roman Yossi and Ryan Ellis and P.K. Subban, uh, certainly on the back end um, and up front, that they, they should be maybe more consistent and more productive than they have. No question, though. Whichever team is looking at acquiring Artemi Panarin, uh, he's going to be a staple on their power play unit. And it's hard to imagine, you know, assuming you know, like we all know that there is an adjustment period when high-end players get traded, especially at the deadline, and there's so little time to adjust to new systems, new teammates before the, the playoffs begin that it, you know sometimes you do see a dip in production. But Panarin's going to help whatever team he goes to if he goes. He's going to help that power play. And I'm with you. If he goes to Nashville, I think they look a lot different. And I think, frankly, they then become a team that you can say, okay, let's bring on a, a, a second straight second round matchup against the Winnipeg Jets team um, and and that once again might be the best series of the playoffs. Another team Scott that has a lot to offer here at the trade deadline if they move on is the Ottawa Senators. They have Matt Duchesne, they have Mark Stone in your recent article on The Athletic, your trade deadline article you said that they are sellers do you think that they're going to sell both of these guys? I mean because these are high impact fantasy players that you could trade for now in advance of a potential move. Yeah, you know it, it, it become, you know, it's the great story of this trade deadline uh, season, if you will, this trade deadline period, is what Pierre Dorian, the GM in Ottawa, is, is able to do with both those players. You know, in a perfect world, he's able to lock both uh, Stone and Duchesne up long-term. Uh, Ryan Zingle's in the mix as well, another uh, productive player. Um, if you're the Ottawa Senators and having lost Eric Carlson, you know you've already given up your first-round pick uh, in June's draft to Colorado uh, as part of the three-way Duchesne deal. Um, so it looks pretty grim if you can't keep Matt Duchesne. Uh, but Mark Stone and Duchesne are, are, are core players, as you pointed out. They're high-end skill offensive players, um, they are going to command a huge return if they are on the move. Now, complicating the matter um, is that it's teams that might be interested in one or both those players might be much more interested in them if they are amenable to signing an extension wherever they end up. And that's, uh, again, it, it's a very fluid situation with the Senators and both those players um, because certainly the Senators, the return for them, if they move either Stone or Duchesne or both, if both of them are agreeable to an extension wherever they go, then it will be a King's ransom or it should be for the Ottawa Senators. If they're straight-out rentals um, with both of them or one of them hitting the market in July, um, then the Senators' return is, is going to be muted. And, you know, we saw a little bit of this last year with Evander Kane going to um, – to uh, San Jose from Buffalo, uh, qualifier on that deal, and with Kane stay, staying in San Jose, that became a first-round pick. Senators are looking for a lot more for in returns of return for both these players. Um, you know, Matt Duchesne has been interesting because he's talked about a, uh, about enjoying uh, his time in Ottawa. 
Uh, he, it's not too, too far from his home in the, the uh, cottage country of, uh, of Ontario, uh, sort of the northern area between Ottawa and, and Toronto. So it's, it, it is a comfortable place for him. I think he likes it. He's played very well on a team that is clearly uh, in, in very much at the bedrock of a rebuilding uh, situation there. But there are good young players. Um, so it, it is a, it's a situation that still remains unclear. And uh, I think you know, we talked about Artemi Panarin, um, teams that might be looking at him. You know, Columbus may not be in a position to move Artemi Panarin until they know what happens with uh, either Stone, but, but maybe more specifically Matt Duchesne. So uh, there's a lot of dominoes that are, are teetering here, but they may not fall until the Ottawa Senators get clarity on whether they're keeping one or both or neither of those two players. So, uh, yeah, there's a, lot to, there's a lot to digest with both those players, um, but they are critical, and, and the moves are going to, they're going to say a lot about uh, shifting power, uh, change of power, or p- balance of power, um, wherever they end up. Scott, I mean, the way that you're making it sound right now is that there are too many dominoes to fall. It's reminiscent of the 2013-14 trade deadline. Same thing. There was just too much going on. It ended up being so underwhelming. I hope that's not the case here. But for Colorado, a team that's losing crazy fantasy value right now, they've gone completely off the rails. What's more likely? They bring in a high-profile guy like Mark Stone, or maybe they look behind the bench? Coaching change. Yeah, I mean, my guess is that uh, Jared Bednar is going to get a longer leash, uh, given the work that he did last year, getting that team into a playoff berth, you know, winning a dramatic game 82 against St. Louis, uh, and really pushing Nashville in the first round in a six-game set that, um, you know, Colorado gave Nashville all they could handle. Uh, so I don't think, uh, you know, I, I think it would be, uh, I think it would be ludicrous if, if Joe Sackick and the Avs uh, decide they'd make a, to make a coaching change there. I think Jared Bednar deserves more than that. Um, you know, the bottom line is they're a team that's very top-heavy. They haven't had the depth scoring that they thought they were going to get. Um, from It's still a really young team, and then some of those younger players – um, that that fall in behind that dynamic top line um, haven't haven't measured up really, and uh, the defense has been sort of hit and miss, um, both in terms of their you know, team defense and then in terms of providing offense from the back end. Probably hasn't been uh, what they had hoped for, and really the goaltending has just not been of a quality that that is. Uh, needed to get into the playoffs and both Simeon Varlamov and you know, Philip Grubauer I think when we saw what had happened in Washington last year where for a period of time he took the starting job from Braden Holpe he was a starter in games one and two of the playoffs against Columbus now he lost both those games and Braden Holpe came in and ran the table but when Colorado acquired Philip Grubauer at the draft in Dallas I think a lot of people were like geez that's that is an important piece um, to, to ensuring that Colorado does get back into the playoffs. And they played for the first month or six weeks of the regular season like they were going to be a lock to make the playoffs. But, you know, it's, there's a lot of things that have fallen apart in Colorado. My guess is that Joe Sackick um, will be very cautious at the deadline. Uh, we know that they own Ottawa's first pick in the draft. Uh, you know, the odds are it's going to be a very good pick. It could be uh, Jack Hughes at the number one. Um, you know, even if it's anywhere in the top five, it's going to be an important impact player. And if Colorado doesn't make the playoffs, they're in the mix uh, uh, with the lottery as well. I mean, maybe this is one of those um, short-term pain, 
uh, long-term gain things for the Avs. I'd be surprised if they make any bold moves. Um, now, you mentioned Mark Stone. I mean, uh, the caveat would be is if you could bring in a Mark Stone and have him under contract moving forward. Um, but my guess is that uh, Joe Sackick will maybe let the, the, the cards fall where they may, uh, keep his powder dry for what will be a potentially enormous draft for the Avs. Now, Colorado is one of the many fringe playoff teams or possible playoff teams that are looking for a secondary score or help on the second line. I mean, the others that come to mind, Dallas, the Islanders, the Buffalo Sabres, Carolina Hurricanes, and the two wings that are probably most attainable right now are Wayne Simmons and Matt Zuccarello. Have you heard anything about these guys leaning any particular way or any teams that might be particularly interested in a Simmons or a Zuccarello? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You, you, uh, I would throw Michael Furlan from Carolina in, in that mix as well because uh, even though the Canes are, as we are chatting here, one point out of a playoff spot, uh, Michael Furland looks like he'll become an unrestricted free agent in the offseason. Doesn't look like he'll fit the Canes' uh, salary structure plans moving forward. And they're one of those teams that could be both, you know, not unlike uh, Columbus, both buying and selling because a team that hasn't made the playoffs since 2009, they're desperate to uh, have some playoff action in Raleigh. Um, but Furland and Simmons are, are, I put them in sort of in the same category because they're similar types of players types of players in that they are very physical. Uh, they bring a physical element, um, but is combined with above-average offensive skills. Um, both those guys play well with high-end talent. You know, Before being traded to Carolina, uh, Michael Furland played quite a bit with um, Johnny Gaudreau and Sean Monaghan in, in Calgary. Uh, he's played some with Sebastian Ajo in, in Carolina. He's uh, um, he's uh, got a lot of power play time with the Hurricanes uh, as they try and stay in the playoff hunt in the East. Uh, Wayne Simmons is a known factor. Uh, he's a little bit older, about four years older than Michael Furland. Um, I think there are some questions about his durability. But as a straight rental, you know, a team like Boston, I think he's a terrific fit. What about a team like Tampa? You know, Tampa is by far the best team in the NHL. Um, but we've seen in the past that President's Trophy winners, um, you know, sometimes they get uh, bitten uh, in the playoffs. So Washington was a perfect example of that uh, over the past three or four years before last spring. Does Wayne Simmons bring the kind of element to an already deep, skilled Tampa team that makes them almost unbeatable if they're playing teams like, let's say, Washington, certainly in the Atlanta division, Boston, Toronto, uh, a Montreal team that has surprised people. Uh, I like the idea of a Wayne Simmons in Tampa, and uh, I think that um, I, I, I would be surprised if Tampa doesn't attempt to at least do something to add a little bit of snarl to their lineup up front. Uh, and if they're able to do that, boy, they are going to be uh, an absolute handful come mid-April. What about a guy like Kevin Hayes potentially going to Calgary, Johnny G and him are roommates in college. Am I reading too far into that? No, I, I mean, I think certainly uh, Brad for Living in Calgary is, is going to be looking to uh, add something up front, just another jolt. I, I know, you know, he, he loved Michael Furlan, uh, who was part of the Dougie Hamilton deal uh, in the offseason. Would he like to get him back? I, I think there's, uh, there's something to that. Um, Kevin Hayes is interesting. I talked to a scout the other day who just absolutely loves him. Now, the team that he loved him uh, as a nice fit was with the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, felt that if uh, Kevin Hayes would be a perfect fit with 
Paul Maurice's team, big, fast, skilled, hard to play against. Um, certainly the Jets, I think, are looking. You know, a year ago they brought Paul Stastny in uh, to help uh, uh, their depth down the middle. Um, you know, This is not a slight against Brian Little, who currently occupies the second center role there, but I think Kevin Hayes, with his size, with his skill, uh, I know it maybe never put it together in the way that, that some people hoped he would with the Rangers, but I think in Winnipeg he would thrive. No question if he goes to Calgary, the Flames would be happy. Um, again, when you look at the Western Conference um, and some of the teams that you would have to go through, San Jose, very good deep down the middle. Uh, we know what Vegas is capable of, and certainly Winnipeg and Nashville um, are, are formidable teams. And in terms of depth, I think Kevin Hayes is the kind of player that may not cost a ton in terms of assets. Uh, he, too, will be a UFA in the uh, in the offseason. Um, but he may be one of those surprising additions at the deadline um, that could have a tremendous impact on a team um, that is looking to not just play a round or two, but looking to go the distance. And you mentioned Boston earlier, Scott. I'm really interested to see their viewpoint at the trade deadline now that David Pasternak is out for two weeks. I mean, it's a short time frame, but they were already a team that probably needed a second line wing. And on top of the names I mentioned earlier, some other guys that could fit in nicely there. There's Kreider from the Rangers, Gustav Nyquist from the Red Wings potential free agent this summer, and then also Marcus Johansson, who's been playing really well in a top-line power play role for the Devils. Do you see any of those being a low-risk, high-reward fit for the Boston Bruins? Yeah, there's no question that the Bruins, uh, and even before the odd Pasternak injury uh, sustained at a team function, um, they were looking to add that, that kind of player, the kind of player that you mentioned there who could fit in certainly in the top six or at the, you know, at the very least the top nine, uh, giving Bruce Cassidy lots of options, uh, both in terms of his uh, top three lines and, and some power play deployment. Um, and I think the question with Pasternak is that they're talking about reevaluating in a couple of weeks, and, and my sense is um, you know, that language suggests that two weeks might be that that might be the best case scenario. So who knows? Maybe we're talking that you know at a period of, that could be even longer than that for David Pasternak to get back. Uh, and even when he is healthy, you're right. Someone to play on that second line. Someone to uh, to, to give some assistance to David Krejci. Uh, you mentioned the, the players you mentioned are, are are all valuable. And one you mentioned earlier, which I didn't get around to, but you know Matt Zuccarello is is playing his best hockey of the season, maybe his best hockey in the last two or three years, uh, playing on a top line in New. York with Mika Zanajad and Chris Kreider. Um, he is going to be UFA, uh, maybe has lost a little bit of a step, um, but he's a proven playoff performer, high-end skill, uh, fearless in spite of his size. Um, you know, I, I think Matt Zagarello would be a nice fit uh, in Boston, but certainly um, the Bruins, I think, will need to do something. Um, they don't match up uh, depth-wise in terms of the offense uh, to a team like uh, Tampa, certainly, and, and the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, which, uh, which both those teams loom large in the Atlantic Division. So my guess is that Boston uh, will not be quiet as the deadline comes by, and I think it's uh, certainly one of those types of players that we just mentioned um, that makes the most sense for the Bruins. How's your fantasy team doing right now, Scott? Uh, you know, I, it's, uh, I'm, I'm in a... I'm, I'm, Seems to be in my perpetual midseason slump here. Uh, I'm in a league that Pierre Lebrun has run for years uh, with a with a group of other hockey writers. 
Um, so, uh, and, and Pierre always likes to give me a dig about it. And I always tell him the same thing that I'll say to you. It, uh, it's not a pool that awards prize money uh, in October or November or February. Got to wait till April. So I, I'm still, I still remain optimistic. Who are some of the guys that have really uh, defined your team for better or worse? Uh, clue us in. Well, I'd prefer not to, to get, divulge my uh, my my uh, my strengths or weaknesses now. I don't want it to impact the the my ability to interview players if I'm dissing them because they aren't performing on my fantasy team. Although I will say that occasionally you run into a player who will, and Joe Thornton, though it comes to mind, that occasionally will ask you, uh, you know. At various points, you know, what, is he doing enough for your fantasy team? Now he has never said that to me in person, but I have been present when he has raised his own fantasy value with some with some of my colleagues. So uh, it's always good to have a, a player who understands the true importance of their production. It's not about Stanley Cups; it's about whether you're helping your fantasy team or not. What offer DFS, Scott? There's a couple big games on Thursday. One I'm looking at is Capitals at Sharks. Both goalies, I think from a peripheral standpoint in terms of save percentage, have been underwhelming this season for fantasy owners. If Braden Holpe is starting, he's 2-2-1 with a 9-20 in his past five. And on the flip side, Martin Jones, if he's going to start 13-2-0 in the past 15 with a 900 save percentage. That's right, a 900 save percentage. Would you be crazy to pick either one of those guys on Thursday? <laughs> yeah, you know it's interesting. I uh, happened to talk to uh, Caps GM Brian McClellan at the All Star break, and uh, was in San Jose, so I got a chance to chat with Braden Holpe and John Carlson. Um, and, and there's no question that the Capitals going into the break. I think they went into the break at a, a seven-game winless slide. They've been a little bit better since the break, um, but they're still some, they still play a lot. I think a lot more loose or a lot looser than head coach Todd Reardon would like them to play. Um, and I know that Braden Holpe would like to be better, would like to have, uh, you know, his stats would be different. I, I do know that, you know, and you know this from looking around the league, that the goaltenders' numbers are completely different this year in terms of, you know, where is your bar set for GAA or for save percentage. Um, you know, I, I think the Capitals are going to find their way. Sharks are an interesting team because you're right. I mean, they have really sort of surged right to the very top of the Pacific Division standings, a uh, real battle there with uh, Calgary. Um, and in spite of the fact that the, but the, both their goaltenders um, you would see save percentage GAA a little bit, um, you know, sort of off what you would imagine from a first-place team. Um, boy, that's, you know what, if you were asking me to one to, to pick that, that game, I'm not sure that I could, uh, but I do think that the Capitals are a team that's ready to get on a roll and sort of reestablish themselves as a as a firm playoff team uh, down the stretch here and certainly heading into the trade deadline. Now, one team that a lot of people have been building their lineups around lately is the Chicago Blackhawks. Their top two lines are rolling. Right now, it's been guys like Dylan Strom, Alex DeBrinkett, even Dominic Cahoon, I think has four multi-point games in his past five. I mean, do you buy the Blackhawks as a playoff contender, especially if Corey Crawford comes back, which it sounds like he will? I, it, it's funny. We I just got done taping our weekly podcast with Pierre LeBrun, and that was a question I asked him as well. Do you believe in the, in a meandering, uh, he calls it the turtle race in the Western Conference, are the Blackhawks the real deal? And I, I you know, I, I think one of the the most pleasant surprises uh, for the Blackhawks has to be the play of Cam Ward in, in goal. And, you know, having, you know, been 
in Carolina when the Canes won the Stanley Cup in 06 in Cam Ward's rookie year, playoff MVP. Um, it looked like things were sort of sliding toward a conclusion for him, but he has really uh, solidified a Blackhawk team that has gone through a lot this year with the firing of Joel Quenville. Um, I'm not sure that they've got enough to get into the playoffs. I think part of the issue for them will be certainly the play of the St. Louis Blues. Dallas is much better defensively. Ben Bishop, I know he's been hurt, but he's been really good. Um, I'm not sure there's room for the Chicago Blackhawks to slide into um, a second wild card spot, um, but it's uh, it's been fun to watch. And, and you mentioned those, uh, you know, the secondary players. I use the air quotes on secondary, but those are players who are going to form the next generation of uh, of Blackhawk players. Uh, they're the ones who are going to take the torch from Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane, Duncan Keith, and that group that you know that we saw win three Stanley Cups between. 2010 and 15. Uh, I think it's a great story if they do make the playoffs, and I'm pretty sure that nobody would want to play them uh, if they do sneak into the playoffs, uh, given the experience and, and the talent on that team. Before we let you go, Scott, let's talk a little Maple Leafs chatter. I know after they acquired Jake Muzzin, it, it seems like they're good to stand pat now and ride this roster out. I know Nazem Kadri, a guy that's emerged in past game two goals. Do you like what they have in terms of fantasy upside for the rest of the season in terms of maybe being better than Tampa Bay or Boston on paper now? Yeah, I, I, I really do. And, and they're a fun team to watch. And, and you know, it's, it has been interesting to watch you know, some of their, I use, again, use the air quotes here, the role players. I mean, it's been, obviously it's been interesting to watch William Nylander try and find his groove um, after finally coming to a contract agreement that, that cost him you know, a significant number of games. Uh, Kadri is another guy that uh, you know, has to accept a role that on a, if he was on a different team, he would probably be getting a lot more opportunities uh, in terms of power play, uh, those kinds of things. I, I think that's the mark of a good team is that you have players who are willing to accept their roles. And I think this is a, a team that, that understands what's at stake here. They, this is as good a team as there's been in Toronto for many, many years. They have a tough road getting through, whether it's Boston, Montreal in the first round, certainly Tampa looms large. But this is a, this is a terrific team. And, I, and they're a fun team to watch because um, they're always pushing the pace. They should continue to score lots of goals. You know, I, I know some people quibble. Jake Muzzin, they prefer, uh, would have preferred a right-handed shot to come in uh, to balance things out on that blue line. But I think Jake Muzzin's going to be a terrific ad. Um, you know, we saw him dominant in a big win over Anaheim, and I think that's sort of a taste of what you can expect from him. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him um, maybe jump in and produce some more points now as we get beyond the trade deadline and, and towards the playoffs. But, yeah, no, that's a, that's a team that, uh, that is fun to watch, and I don't expect them to uh, to stop scoring, scoring a bunches, a goals in bunches anytime soon. I think we deserve a Toronto-Montreal first round in the NHL. Oh, my gosh, yes. Let's, uh, sign me up right now. I'm all over that. Well, Scott, we really appreciate you coming on. Everybody can follow Scott on Twitter at Overtime Scott B. Again, he writes for The Athletic, one of the all-time great scribes in the hockey world. Scott, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, anytime, guys. Good stuff from Scott there. I think one of the things that caught me a little bit by surprise was he was inclined to say Panarin probably on the move, but Bobrovsky probably standing pat. So, Pete, I think it'll be interesting to see if this is a three-way deal like he alluded to, Matt DeShane being involved here. Things for fantasy owners could be crazy. It, it's just the Bobrovsky aspect of the Panarin thing makes it so much more complicated. 
that they could join up together, that Bobrovsky uh, would be a package deal. It just complicates things. If they're trying to max out on Panarin's value in a trade, they should do that. They should keep Bobrovsky and then just hit the offseason. He's not as much of an asset moving forward as Panarin is in fantasy or reality. I mean, he's shown signs of struggles this year, and Panarin is a top-flight elite scorer that is coveted around the league. I think this thing starts this weekend. I don't think the teams are going to wait till next Friday. The way that he mentioned so many moving parts right now, I think these moves are going to be start to made Saturday, Sunday, maybe evening when it's a low press time. So fantasy owners get to the waiver wire. If there's guys like Zuccarello available, if Simmons is out there in some shallow leagues, be all over these names because if they go to a Boston, if they go to a Nashville, teams like that, these guys are going to win your fantasy hockey championship. And what Scott said caught me by surprise in that the Tampa Bay Lightning, the most stacked team in the league, may be looking to add at the trade deadline. And to me, as a fantasy owner, if you're trying to pick up a Zuccarello or a Simmons or Marcus Johansson, you hope that they get traded to a team like Tampa and play in their top nine or get traded to the Boston Bruins. He sounded like they're going to make a move as well. I mean, that would change the entire DFS landscape. You would have to rework the entire meta if a guy like Wayne Simmons was in the front of the net on the Tampa Bay power play. One note, though, I have to say about the Colorado Avalanche, he mentioned that they're probably not doing anything. They're not only not making a move for the trade deadline, but they're not making a coaching change. So Nate McKinnon, he's not the number one ranked player in fantasy hockey anymore. Alex Ovechkin, the GOAT, is. So is it time now, Pete, that we cut the cord on this team, we sell high on Randon, we sell high on McKinnon while there's still some value here? We already discussed the Nathan McKinnon aspect of your question, so I would agree. I would say that their value has peaked and that you can get a lot in return for these guys right now while they're still ranked among the top five or top ten scorers in the NHL. Even Alandiskog, look at his Yahoo rank. He's up there in the top 20. I mean, you you got to cash in for these guys now because if that team is looking forward to the lottery and being maybe a little stubborn with their coach, then you have to take advantage of that, reap your rewards that you got earlier in the season and move on, cash in, get a couple other high-end players in return in a fantasy deal. And I would strongly advise fantasy owners to consider parting with Tyson Barry too. The reason I say that, I know D's a scarce position, but his plus minus, I envision it taking a hit. Like I said, they're going to lose against Toronto, which they did 5-2. to two. Nazem Kadri had a beautiful game. William Nylander, great assist. If you didn't see the highlight reel, go check it out. But that is a player, Tyson Berry, that is going to hurt your plus minus. And on a thin defense already on that Colorado Avs team, get out while you can. And he also mentioned, Scott mentioned, uh, the Winnipeg Jets looking to upgrade their top six. That makes a ton of sense when you think about it uh, with how Brian Little's been up and down, Roslovic hot and cold, mostly cold, and Patrick Laine needs someone to elevate his game. The Winnipeg Jets are not going to make the Stanley Cup final if Patrick Laine's playing like this. I, I, I don't think that's true. I, the Winnipeg Jets are one of those teams that don't need to play in the regular season. They don't need to practice. They don't need to do anything. They just need to go out there, skate around, and shoot pucks at the net. If Patrick Laine gets high, and he starts scoring as an elite goal scorer in the playoffs. I don't care who's at center. I don't care if it's Brian Litter or if it's Roslovic, whoever's playing there. Matthew Perot steps up and has a great playoff series. That's just a team that has so dynamic, such high upside, especially on the blue end, the blue line, excuse me, wouldn't worry about it. One thing I saw, though, this morning is that the Jets are allowing 
top five in shots on goal allowed per game. That scares me a little bit personally. I mean, Bufflin has been out a little bit. They've dealt with some injuries, no doubt. But uh, that's a team I'm concerned a little bit, and I would be a little less concerned if they made an upgrade like they did last year with Stasny. A silver lining on that stat, though, is that Tyler Myers is emerging as a good DFS stream option lately, too. So add him to the list of Jake, J- Jacob Truba, Dustin Bufflin, Josh Morrissey. Now you look at Tyler Myers as a guy that's getting some assists lately, too. Really big things on the blue line there. So looking at picks for Thursday, one guy that I'm penciling in, I'm building my lineup around is P.K. Subban at home against his former team, the Montreal Canadiens. I know that his fantasy numbers have been underwhelming this season, but he's still an efficient guy, covers categories, and I bank on him getting at least a point against his former team. He's always going to get up for that matchup against the Canadians. I actually have a Canadians player, John Drouin, in my lineup. I love the way he's playing. I love the multi-point potential. I love the kind of chip he has on his shoulder from critics, from the media saying, oh, this trade wasn't this, it wasn't that. John Drouin doesn't care. He's producing every single night. That line with Phil Deneau is electric. I love what the Canadians have going on and I think they have a nice low ownership stack appeal against the Nashville Predators now for a matchup that I think we can bank on in terms of a favorable one for the Chicago Blackhawks for them to bounce back after their streak got snapped against the Bruins they host the New Jersey Devils Patrick Kane's on a 15 game point streak so he's a guy to always spend up for but from Debrinket to Cahoon to Dylan Strom, Eric Gustafson scored again these are guys you got to get multiple Blackhawks in your lineup for this particular matchup you do. I think at this point, the Chicago Blackhawks are worthy of spending up for. I know I had to bring it for 7,200 in my lineup on Tuesday. It was a good pick, but this is going to keep rolling. Pat Kane's price, $9,300 on Tuesday. Most expensive in the slate, but clearly worth it while this point streak continues. I'm with you, Pete. I'd be spending up for these guys, too. And we'll see who starts the game. We don't know if it'll be Crawford or Ward or Delia. Probably getting the win. Check their prices. Another game that could have a lot of goals is Vegas against the Toronto Maple Leafs. And Vegas is coming off a really disappointing game. We both thought the, they had things going for them uh, against the Arizona Coyotes that uh, went in the opposite direction on Tuesday. I've got William Nylander in my lineup in this for a value play. He had an assist, a beautiful no-look assist to Nazem Kadri and five shots on goal to boot against the Colorado Avalanche. A player like him that gets hot for one game stays hot. I love that stack with Nas on the third line. That line's clicking right now. Another thing that's going right for the Maple Leafs, Austin Matthews bounce back game. He's playing with Kasperi Kapanen, and I love the fact that Kasperi Kapanen scored his first power play goal of the season on Tuesday night. So give me him uh, for a middle tier price, uh, getting a little bit more power play usage. He probably deserves it. And how about Scotty Burnside calling out the cap saying it's time for them to go on a roll. I'm going to take a page out of his playbook and get Braden Holpe as my goalie against the Sharks. I'm crazy. It's a total contrarian gut play. I don't even care about the stats. I've seen it. I know he can play better. But I'll tell you one thing. Scott's right. This is a team that's playing loosey-goosey. They've got a long flight out to San Jose to talk about what's not going right. I think they get up for that type of game. Don't care about the record in San Jose. I think they eke one out there. I know they can turn it on at any moment. I was pretty shocked, though, that they got shut out by Sergei Bobrovsky, a guy that that has been allowing... Three, four goals a game for the past two months. I mean, that's really concerning to me. And also, Eric Carlson was on the ice on Wednesday. uh, So we'll see if he comes back. He's missed eight games, but the Sharks haven't missed a beat. They've won six straight. Don't let me down and all the fantasy owners, Scott, please. 
Unfortunately, I think you and Scott are going to be a little disappointed here. I think that Joe Thornton's playing too well. This team is much deeper than the Capitals offensively. If they get Carlson back, I really like their chances in this game to win outright. And I like Joe Thornton to extend his little assist streak that he's got going on. The Joe Thornton factor is probably the most underrated on the playbook. One last game I'm looking at is Blue Jackets against the Islanders. I don't see enough goal scoring from the Islanders, so I think fantasy owners look at the Columbus Blue Jackets blue line in this one. Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski come to mind to spend up for. And the secondary scoring woke up as we anticipated before the last game. You saw Duclair get in on the scoring. Uh, when uh, Bjorkstrand, uh, there was Josh Anderson all getting points in that game. This is not a good matchup for the Islanders. If you're looking against the grain, Anders Lee's on a 10-game goal drought, and Matthew Barzell has been quiet lately. Going to be interesting to see if the Islanders maybe swap Jordan Eberle in a type of scenario that Scott was talking about, a rental for a rental, because he's probably not sticking with the Islanders. He's been disappointing this year. And he could really benefit from a change of scenery, Eberle. So that's a guy in fantasy leagues, low ownership right now, that could skyrocket in value in the right situation. That said, the Islanders probably need a second-line center, too. I think Brock Nelson is a nice player, nice story in his contract year, but he's not the long-term solution, or even the short-term one. That would be a team, if they were to land a Matt Duchesne or a player of that caliber, it would just make a completely different uh, look for this team going into the playoffs. And for the Metropolitan Division, we get so tight down the stretch, it would be great to see. But that'll do it for us. Another great episode of NHL Fantasy on Ice. Keep the questions coming on Twitter at NHL Fantasy for the both of us, at NHL Jensen for Pete, at NHL Reese for myself. Thanks again to Scott Burnside for joining us here on the show. Rate, review on iTunes, subscribe to the podcast anywhere you get your podcasts, and we'll check in with you again next week. Thanks so much for listening to NHL Fantasy on Ice.